baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. You're listening to KCBS In-Depth. We need, and we haven't done this yet, to centralize our public health system. The people, places, and issues the Bay Area is talking about. We have done exactly what needed to be done, which is provide and give an effective vaccine. The key for gun safety reform advocates is to think about this in the long term. These times when change happen, often brief, so you want to get as much accomplished as possible. This is KCBS In-Depth. New revelations about the Delta variant of COVID-19 have been coming in fast and furious in recent weeks, forcing us to re-examine our whole approach to this pandemic. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and today on the program, with so much changing so fast, it can be hard to make sense of it all. So we're going to take a step back and check in on the latest COVID science. Also discuss what it'll mean for all of us as we enter into yet another phase of this pandemic. For that conversation, we are very lucky to welcome back onto the program now Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, who studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, welcome back to KCBS In-Depth. Happy to be here. Thank you. Very glad to have you. And uh, that's mostly because I feel like this is a moment where we we need a little bit more clarity because all of the various headlines that we've been seeing and official announcements it can be pretty hard to make sense of it all. Sometimes there have been some room for misinterpretation. So very grateful to have uh, somebody like you who has been a very uh, clear and consistent voice throughout the breadth of the pandemic. And uh, hopefully we can bring some of that clarity to our listeners right now as well. Uh, some of the big questions that we're going to be looking at over the course of uh, this program is whether or not we might need booster shots in the future. Uh, also going to discuss the possibility that new variants of the virus could get even worse. But let's start with the strain of the hour, so to speak, the Delta variant, and talk a little bit about why it is so infectious. Uh, what have we learned so far uh, about why this is a, a strain of the COVID-19 that is transferring from one person to another uh, so much more efficiently than past strains? So what we know so far about that is that this virus appears to be about 50% more transmissible than the alpha variant, which itself was about 50% more transmissible than the variant we had before that. So all told together, it seems like it's about on the order of about twice as infectious as the previous variant or the original variant that uh, we first became aware of last year. Um, and so your question is, is why is that? Um, and the why is not fully known yet, but, um, but we do have some pieces of evidence. So um, many people will have heard that this virus appears to replicate better and you have actually more amounts of virus in your body when you're infected with the Delta variant than with other variants. Um, so some people may have heard uh, or seen news stories suggesting that you have a thousand times more virus when you're infected with the Delta variant than with other variants. Um, and so that's based on kind of these measures of viral load that we get from swabs inside people's noses. So in fact, there is evidence that suggests that, um, that, that the Delta variant does in fact uh, replicate to higher levels in our noses. And so that's part of the story. There's also some evidence, um, it's not quite as strong as we would like yet, suggesting that there might be slight increases in actually the amount of time you're actually infectious with this virus, virus variant. 
So that would mean basically that you might be infectious a little bit um, sooner after you first became infected and possibly be infectious a little bit longer than you were in the past. Those data are not um, quite as strong as we'd like to have yet to be confident in that. So I would say so far, um, it looks like it has mostly to do with the amount of virus in your nose um, and possibly how long you actually have those amounts of virus. So those are our first guesses so far. Yeah. And let's talk about one area that I think really does need uh, an awful lot more clarity. Uh, about a week ago, we got the shock announcement from the CDC that they were changing the recommendation for vaccinated people that uh, all of us essentially should be getting uh, keeping a mask on in indoor crowded settings uh, in much of the country and in areas of the country facing high transmission levels. And we later learned that part of the reason behind that was we've learned more about the transmissibility of the virus from vaccinated people. And this is why this conversation is so hard, because there's so many different people are in different categories. And we're talking about transmission in different places uh, between vaccinated, unvaccinated. So we need to be very careful uh, in our language here. But essentially, uh, for vaccinated people, this came as a huge revelation because the message had been, oh, we we had very good protection against transmission, uh, transmitting the virus to other people. And so that that was a big load off of many of our minds. Uh, But but but. Um, I I think a lot of people, including myself, actually, um, uh, misinterpreted exactly what it was the CDC was saying in that moment. So, Dr. Kilpatrick, if you could help us out, what what did we learn about how the Delta variant transmits uh, from vaccinated people? Sure. So, actually, I want to take one step back to make this uh, as clear as I can. And that is to say that vaccination actually protects us um, in kind of three or four steps, or at least that's one way to think about it. So, first of all, being vaccinated in a subset of people produces such a really strong immune response that when you're exposed to the virus, uh, you actually don't get infected at all. So if that's the case, then of course, if you're not infected, you can't transmit it and you actually can't get sick. And so that's the best case, right? Then there's a subset of people that actually get vaccinated and they still have some protection, but that protection doesn't protect them completely from being infected. They get infected, but they might have, say, lower viral loads. And we'll talk about that in a minute, especially with respect to the Delta variant. Uh, The next part is that um, if they get infected and they have lower viral loads, they might get sick but just a little bit sick and not super sick. So the vaccine can basically protect you from complete infection, just block it completely. It could uh, make you so that you might be able to get infected at a lower probability, but if you do get infected, you have lower amounts of virus, which often confers um, a lower disease severity as well. And so the vaccines basically have this protection in both in terms of infection, symptomatic infection, and what we call severe infection, which obviously includes things like hospitalization and death. And so what the data from the CDC suggested um, uh, that everyone heard lots of news stories about is that if you compared the amount of virus in some patients in an outbreak um, uh, that basically were vaccinated and not vaccinated, it looked like the amount of virus in the noses of these two groups of people were about the same. And that was the big thing that CDC kind of got uh, interpreted to indicate that Delta might be uh, basically being able to evade our immune system enough so that if people did get infected um, and, and, and get symptomatic infections, they might actually have similar viral loads and therefore be more likely to transmit them with other variants. So that's where this recommendation came from, that we should all um, take additional precautions and wear masks in indoor spaces to really reduce that probability of passing on the virus. So the giant piece that was missing in that, that I think uh, is where a lot of people got confused, was does that mean the vaccines don't work at all anymore? Right. And the answer is a giant no. So the vaccines actually are still working very well in two ways. The first is that um, they still are preventing a substantial fraction of people from becoming infected in the first place. Mm. Um, and th- the data from that study that the CDC released um, actually didn't have any uh, data to bring to bear on that question. It basically wasn't designed in a way to really assess that. In addition to that, the vaccines, we um, have quite strong evidence. They're still providing very strong protection against severe disease. Um, and so that means that, that even those people that do get infected, 
Some of them may have um, virus in their nose, and the CDC study suggests possibly the same amounts, although there's other data that suggests that's not the case. So even though there are some people that do get um, infected with, um, the, with the Delta variant, given that they've been vaccinated, the protection for severe disease or against severe disease is still very, very high, um, even against the Delta variant. So the vaccines are doing their job immensely well against severe disease and are still doing their job quite a bit against infection at all. Um, and the last little piece that we're talking about now is, is do they does the Delta variant somehow evade our immune system to be able to replicate well enough so that vaccinated people transmit equally well, given that they do get infected, which again is a subset or a smaller fraction of people that get exposed in the first place. Um, and the CDC study suggested that viral loads were similar in these two groups of people, vaccinated and unvaccinated people, but there's a, a, a study that's about the same size from the UK that suggests that they're actually viral loads in vaccinated people are actually quite a bit lower than those in unvaccinated people. Um, and so, so what that means to me is that uh, I would not take the single CDC study or the single UK study and think that we have the final answer on that. Both of these studies are relatively small. They just involve tens of people. I think the CDC study might have had um, 80 people in one group and maybe 100 in the other or a couple hundred in the other and the same thing with the UK study. So we basically just need a bit more data to really know how much does vaccination reduce viral loads for the, that fraction of people, that smaller fraction of people that do get infected despite being vaccinated. So just to sum up and be totally clear, vaccines still substantially reduce the chance that you get infected in the first place. They may reduce the viral loads that you get, or it may be relatively similar. We don't have uh, convincing or conclusive data on that yet. But regardless of those two things, in addition to those effects, they substantially reduce the severity of illness if you do get infected in the first place. So the vaccines are still actually, even against the Delta variant, proving to be very, very effective in the most important thing, which is in reducing the probability of severe disease and death. All right, real quick, just going to reintroduce you. Uh, speaking right now to Dr. Marm Kilpatrick with UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. This is KCBS In-Depth. I'm Keith Manconi, and we are taking a closer look at the latest in COVID science with so much changing, just trying to get our bearings in this strange new Delta variant phase of the pandemic. And I guess this kind of tees up another question for me. At this phase in the pandemic, when we are dealing with new strains and we are dealing with trying to find out how well the vaccines are holding up against them, are, are, are we kind of in a place where health uh, authorities like the CDC or others are going to be squeezing every little bit of information that they get for all it's worth? And, and you know, as you said, there are many studies going. The CDC was relying on one particular study. Uh, but you can kind of understand why they would be grasping at that, because uh, th there, there are so many consequential questions right now, and we only have so much information to draw on. So is it, it's, a, it's a pretty big challenge, I would imagine. It is. And I think one of the biggest uh, difficulties and struggles is that with this new vaccine variant, the Delta variant, um, being so much more transmissible, so, so basically being about twice as transmissible as the original version of SARS-CoV-2, um, things can change really fast. And so uh, as people have probably been recognizing if they've been following any of the case counts in different states in the U.S. or some of the case counts in other countries, um, the rises in cases in some places are actually faster than we've ever seen in this epidemic so far. And so uh, what I think that indicates is just that the, the impetus for making smart decisions early or sooner is even higher. So I think in this case, the CDC is, is um, wanting to uh, put something in place um, to try to reduce the spread of this virus and really reduce that really sharp increase in cases that we're seeing, um, and especially if that measure might be able to be effective in doing so. So I think that's really where this is coming from, is to say, if we do learn that part of this initial spread might be because uh, some vaccinated people uh, do become infected and some of those may go on to transmit, if we can have all those people mask up, that can reduce that transmission. That might be a way to really to cut the growth rate of this new virus variant. 
And I suppose another important point that this brings to mind, uh, you have been hearing from a lot of people a certain level of frustration that it seems like the science on this is always changing. And it seems like what we're being told to do is contradictory and also always changing. But in hearing you and and, and other uh, experts talk about it, it, it is just a gradual progression of our understanding of how this virus works. Really, the the thing that is changing the most quickly is the recommendations um, that we're getting. But the, the science itself is probably not a, a, a quite as volatile as many people interpret it to be. There, we, we do know some things about this virus. That's right. So I think the things that's challenging are twofold. So one is, is that, uh, so for example, CDC messaging, they're really trying to do the best they can to keep us safe in both the short and the long term. And they're faced with two challenges. One is is varying levels of virus transmission, which are very dynamic, of course, and um, new variants popping up, which are in fact new and providing us with, unfortunately, changing the the things we thought we know beforehand. And so that's definitely the case. But it is unfortunately layered on top of that, the case that that sometimes news stories come out in a way that, that kind of presents stuff as brand new knowledge, when in fact it's slightly incremental knowledge on things we knew before. And that's been a little bit frustrating because I think yeah. that gives the reader the impression that everything you knew before is totally gone. You have no knowledge left, when in fact that's actually not the case. Many of the things that we knew last March or April are actually still quite good knowledge now. I mean, we've just kind of refined our understanding yeah. since then. So so that there's definitely this um, this balance to walk between um, really needing to to change our either behaviors or our understanding of things as new knowledge arises, which ha- has been the case, for example, with the Delta variant, right? It actually is more transmissible, so we do need to um, behave slightly differently with that in mind. Um, but it's also the case that we actually have learned a huge amount of stuff that seems to be relatively robust knowledge. So, for example, we can still say now that with, with all the viruses that are out there, the vaccines provide relatively robust protection against severe disease. And that's been true. You know, that was true back in, I think it was October, November last year when we first got those data. And it's still true now, you know, 10 months later. And that's fantastic. Yeah. No, I mean, it is a tough time to be a news consumer right now. And it got me, too. I mentioned a little bit earlier the the first couple of days with the CDC's announcement and uh, t- telling us what the study had found in terms of transmissibility. Uh, I misinterpreted it myself. It took me, uh, I think, uh, maybe by the second day and I had read a few more reports. I, w- I was like, oh, is that what they were saying yesterday? Is this different? And there's just it, there's so many details. You have to be a careful reader of news. But hopefully this conversation provides a little bit of help uh, in that regard as people try to approach all of this. Uh, bouncing off of a couple of th- the, the things that you were just saying, Dr. Kilpatrick, um, looking to the future of the vaccine and its efficacy, what is your guess about how long these vaccines will last, the protection from them? We've been talking about the potential need for a booster shot, um, either because our immune response fades over time or because the virus itself changes so much that the immune response that we get from these vaccines no longer works on that new uh, form of the virus. What is your sense of how quickly immunity is fading? Sure. So that's a really difficult and challenging question. So I'm going to give you what I think We're is doing our, all the hard cur- ones today. <laughs> our current knowledge on this. And then I want to be super clear about the uncertainty that exists that no one has an answer to, but people have speculated on. Absolutely. So we actually have quite good data now on how long antibodies to vaccination last um, and what that likely provides. So those data are actually quite convincing that um, our antibodies appear to um, be quite robust and last quite a long time. Uh, we now have data, I think, um, almost a full year out from the initial vaccinations, um, which suggests that, that our, although our antibodies do, our levels do reduce a little bit, um, decrease a little bit, excuse me, um, they still provide relatively robust protection. And so there are some scientists that are suggesting that based on that, we may not need boosters, you know, either at all or for a long time. So that's one arm of the story. 
Um, uh, so unfortunately, there's other pieces to the story. So the challenge is that um, it's certainly possible that uh, two two things will make that uh, difficult. So one is is that over time, it is likely that our antibodies um, will wane a bit more. And it's also possible that the virus will evolve to evade our immune system even more than the current variants we have now. And if either of those two things happen, we are likely to get to a place where the virus can infect us better, maybe still not cause severe disease, but the vaccines don't provide enough protection to really keep transmission in check. So um, so we haven't talked about this before yet so far, but um, there's a now a really large amount of data that, that estimates how well the vaccines protected us against both infection and transmission against the original variants. And the data from that, there's now at least a, maybe more than a dozen or maybe even two dozen studies. Um, my read of all that data suggests that it's on the order of between 80 and 90%. So that's great. But with both a waning of immunity from just kind of the decrease in our antibodies in our bodies over time and um, evolution of the virus itself, if that number goes from, let's say, 85% down to, let's say, 60%, then maybe 50%. Um, there's some data from a UK study that suggested that number might be down as low as around 50%, but with wide uncertainty. Um, you can then ask if it goes down a little bit further than that, let's say it gets to 30 or 40%, then even though you might still be fully protected or almost fully protected against severe disease, you might still want to boost those antibodies up to really reduce the chance of transmission to protect those around you that are not vaccinated. Um, so so the, the other giant, really hard part that I want to uh, be honest about a large amount of uncertainty is that we really don't know where this virus will go next. So um, so I'll tell you that the people that study this for a living, and I'm not one of them, I'm on the epidemiology side, not the viral evolution side, but the folks that do this for a living, um, they believe, and I, I think there's good reasons to, to be able to understand this as a layperson, um, the higher the fraction of the population that has immunity, the higher the selective pressure on the virus to evade that immunity. So that as more and more people get vaccinated um, and get uh, exposed to the virus, then the virus obviously has strong pressure to basically mutate to be able to evade that immunity. It's just now, basic evolutionary can... adaptation. They have this new exactly right. environmental challenge and they're adapting to get past it. And that challenge is the vaccine. Exactly. That's precisely right. It's actually immunity full stop from both the vaccine, but also from previous exposure to the virus itself. So natural infection. Yeah. The best thing we can possibly do to reduce the probability of the happening is get the levels of virus in our community down to a low level. If there's no virus there, it can't evolve. Right. And so that's the reason that we really want to get the transmission down to low levels as possible. Um, so I, I say that to indicate that um, that most evolutionary biologists who study viruses for a living believe that the virus will continue to mutate to um, try to evade our immune system and as much as it can just to be able to be transmitted as efficiently as possible. And so this new Delta variant unfortunately includes pieces of both of that, right? We have good evidence that it's more transmissible even in unvaccinated people and that it partly evades our immune system, right? So it's actually doing exactly the things that we would expect it to do just in terms of basic um, evolutionary biology. Yeah. And so uh, there's no reason to suspect that the virus actually is incapable of doing more of that same evolution, both more um, evasion of our immune system and slightly more kind of in increased transmissibility. And so exactly how fast, when, and how far that can go, those are um, uh, subjects of evolutionary biology which are actually quite uncertain. And I don't think people would make strong predictions, especially exactly about timelines or amounts of any of those things. We just know for sure that this virus will continue to evolve and is likely to make changes in both of those things. We just don't, don't know the extent of those and how fast that will happen. Yeah. Speaking once again to Dr. Marm Kilpatrick, he studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. This once again is KCBS in depth, taking a closer look at the new emerging COVID-19 science as we battle the Delta variant and try to come to terms with exactly what it means for those of us who are vaccinated and those who aren't. 
Let's uh, actually, since we're talking about so many different and new emerging strains, it, it actually does seem like there is a new new strain to talk about, the Delta Plus variant, which sounds concerning, but then uh, you see other headlines that say maybe we shouldn't be that concerned about it here again. Uh, we've got a lot of news confusion going on. Dr. Kilpatrick, what do you think is the main thing the average news consumer should know about the Delta Plus, which has actually uh, been detected in the Bay Area, but I don't think uh, in, a, in a widespread kind of way? I guess the, my read of the data on that so far is that we don't have enough evidence yet to really know how different this virus, the Delta Plus variant, is from Delta itself. And so, um, so uh, there's definitely... Uh, intense scrutiny of all the viruses that are out there. And we do when we do find one that has a few more changes, we wonder if those changes uh, convey kind of functional differences in the virus. So in terms of either transmissibility or severity or immune evasion. Um, and I just haven't seen what I would consider convincing data to me that it's really kind of a brand new thing we need to worry about yet. Um, it definitely, Delta Plus, of course, is already Delta, right? And so it already includes some of the other things that Delta has, which we know are really, really problematic. So, uh, so I think it's certainly something to, not something to ignore, but I don't think it's, at least to me, I haven't seen data convincing me that it's um, yet a further step beyond uh, all the challenges we associate with Delta itself. All right. Let's let's speak to the question of masking right now, because I think this is another area where when people are being encouraged to mask, a lot of people are taking away from that the message that, oh, well, maybe my vaccine is not as helpful as I thought. Uh, it seems like the general thinking on masking is that it works in tandem with the vaccine to provide protection. And uh, one, having both of them is better than having only one of them. So uh, what do we know about the efficacy of uh, masking in tandem with the vaccine uh, it, uh, against the Delta variant? Sure, that's a great question. And actually, if I can, I would like to take one step back and just think a little bit more about um, uh, what can we do to reduce our own risk of infection in general um, and how do mask and vaccines play into that? And so, so I think the really useful way to think about things is to realize that the main factors that determine your risk of becoming infected are threefold. So it's first, what fraction of people in your community are actually infected with the virus at a given point in time. And that's both you know, like your state or your county, but it's actually specifically your social circle and those people you might encounter in your day-to-day -day activities. And so, um, so folks can um, get a sense of that from looking at you know, any of the kind of little trackers of COVID infection that they see in places. So that's the reason for increased risk. That's number one. Number two is that given that people around you are infected, what's the chance of them passing that virus to you and that's determined, unfortunately, also by traits of the virus itself. We've already talked about that in this conversation earlier, which is to say that with the Delta variant around, given that a person's infected, if they have the Delta variant, which most of us, that's the one that's around now, they're more infectious. So that means you have to need to take an additional level as well. So as infection levels in your community go up and as Delta has arisen, that increases risk. And then that brings us to the third part, which is that what can we do ourselves to reduce risk, right? So those two things kind of determine our, our background risk. And then the things that determine our risk personally are basically... Do we get vaccinated? Uh, do we wear a mask? And then what activities do we actually um, do with other people that we don't live with, right? So how much time do we spend indoors um, with folks that we don't live, live with? And that can be um, with a mask, without a mask, vaccinated, not vaccinated, and then things like distance um, and ventilation and all the things we've talked about a bunch last year, right? And so as I look at it, um, those are each just layers of protection, right? So if we can, um, if we want to reduce our chance of becoming infected and our chance of getting severely sick and ill, the first thing I would do is get vaccinated because that means that even if I get infected, my chance of severe disease and death have been greatly reduced. So that's layer number one. Then after I get vaccinated, if I'm going to be in indoor spaces, especially, you know, for a bit of time or especially with quite a few people that I don't live with, then I can throw a mask on top of that and get me an extra level of protection that simply is going to reduce the chance that I get infected at all in the first place. 
So that gives me one extra layer on the front end, which is fantastic. And even if I'm vaccinated, as we talked about before, there's a chance that I get infected and might still be able to transmit to other people with a slightly higher probability than we had before because of the Delta variant. So if I wear a mask, I'll actually then again reduce the chance that I infect someone else by blocking some of those particles that I breathe out when I breathe, right? So the mask is helping me and helping those people around me, and that's a win-win, right? On top of that, um, some folks are saying, okay, I'm not sure I want to go to this, say, big indoor concerts, especially if it's not required to have everyone have masks there or be vaccinated there, right? So there are some folks that are basically starting to reduce a few of those higher risk activities they had before, especially if those activities don't have certain requirements for the whole group that's going to be there in that group. And so, um, so I think if someone wants to modulate their own risk, they can basically just start adding layers of protection um, for themselves. And some of those actually protect others as well. So in fact, actually most of them do, right? So vaccination protects you, but also the people around you because you're less likely to get infected and pass it on. Masks do the same thing, right? And then um, just modulating beha your behavior in terms of giving people space. Um, if you're in an indoor setting, if you have higher, more ventilation, that's quite helpful as well, those kind of things. So those are, I think, the tools that we all can use to really reduce the chance of ourselves getting infected, protect us, and protect others as well. Yeah. So all about those layers of protection, uh, really important things to keep in mind. Uh, we are coming up towards the end of the show, and I guess just to maybe wrap it all in uh, a bow, I'm curious for your just very high-level thoughts in terms of how much we are getting better at learning about COVID-19. So obviously it's changing every day, but now we have more, well over a year of experience learning about this virus and uh, figuring out its tricks and tracking it using uh, genetic sequencing. Are, are we getting better at adapting to the new curveballs that COVID-19 is likely to throw at us? Or is the pace of the science on this, is it, is it increasing at the same rate that the, uh, that, the, that the new strains are developing themselves? I would say yes in some ways, but unfortunately not as fast in other ways. So one thing that we've done a mm. much better job in the U.S. Um, is we're, we're now, as we actually discussed earlier, we're now sequencing a much higher fraction of all the, the viruses that we find in patients, right? So we actually know what's happening in a much better way. That's been fantastic. And that's, that's important just to, just to flag that because when you're n just tested normally for the virus, that doesn't tell us what strain it is. So this is an extra level of testing that's more expensive and took a lot of time to set up. Exactly. That's precisely correct. So that's actually a really helpful thing that we're doing. Um, in addition... Um, uh, we're starting to link those sequencing data to some of the public health data to really get at the epidemiology better. So that's also helpful. Um, unfortunately, we're still not, uh, how do I say this gently? Some countries are doing a much better job than, than we are in the U.S. at really maximizing the, the benefit of the information we have from public health in general. So, for example, we're still learning, I would argue, most, if not most, a very high fraction of all of our knowledge is still coming from a few countries that really have really fantastic systems set up to really um, track things and measure things in a more careful way. So for example, the United Kingdom um, has set up a few things uh, that really have provided, I think, the entire world with really fundamental knowledge in how some of these things work. So for example, if there's a new variant that pops up and it pops up in the US, um, but then it also moves to the UK relatively quickly after that, I would say that we're more likely to learn some basic features of that virus in the UK before we would in the US, simply because they're better at tracking things. And one of the ways that that also happens is because um, the UK has a nationalized healthcare system. And so they basically, the, the federal government there has access to the underlying case data and the epidemiology in a more robust, um, widespread way than we have here. And the result of that is just the ability to really track things in a better way. And that results in us knowing, for example, if there's a new variant, does it evade our immunity better than the old one? How fast can we learn that? So, so I think that um, we're doing some things better here in the US and globally, I think we're definitely doing some things better, um, but there's still some gaps that we 
should, should uh, excuse me, should try to fill in. Yeah. All right. Well, an awful lot to think about and uh, an awful lot of very helpful foundational information to help us contend with all this new information that is bound to be coming at us in the weeks and months ahead. So we do thank you for all of that. We have been speaking to Dr. Marm Kilpatrick. One more time, he studies infectious diseases at UC Santa Cruz's Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Thank you so much, Dr. Kilpatrick. Thank you. Have a great day. And thank you all for listening. For KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Menconi. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to KCBS In-Depth. Get every episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcast platforms. Visit kcbsradio.com for more news and interviews. We are the Bay Area's news station, KCBS. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 